Hey there friends, I hope that you're safe and well. To all of my Melbourne listeners, we've had some positive news over the weekend with a further easing of restrictions. For all of my overseas listeners, us Melbournians have been in stage 4 lockdown for almost 3 months now, which has possessed a substantial amount of hardship for people both physically, financially, emotionally and mentally. But the light is at the end of the tunnel, friends, so just keep on keeping on. This time is extremely unique in which we have the ability to rewrite the script and utilize our experiences from the forced slowdown and adapt them to our normal way of living. We were living such manic lifestyles prior to the COVID lockdown and without disregarding the challenges that people have experienced through this time, I truly believe that on the other side of extreme adversity comes great growth. This week's special guest is none other than naturopath and personal trainer Jasmine Gilbert. I thoroughly enjoyed recording this one with Jasmine as we unpack the gut-brain connection and how our gut health can impact our overall mental health and well-being. Crazy, I know. Jasmine takes us through the physiological processes involved in digestion and just how vital remaining present when we are consuming food is. We often multitask, and I'm guilty of this as well, when we're eating food, and whether that be scrolling through Instagram or chatting on the phone or even driving, which is, you know, very, very, very bad. But this episode shows us exactly why we should be celebrating eating and making it a stand-alone event. Friends, the science on the gut microbiome and the role that that plays in our overall health is still extremely new, but it is rapidly evolving. And the things that we once thought that were good for us are now being exposed. This episode is an absolute cracker and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Let myself and Jasmine know that you're listening to the show by screenshotting the cover and posting it on your social media. I would love to know where you're listening from and what you got out of the episode. Well, that's enough from me, friends. Pour yourself a cup of tea, grab yourself a pen and a paper, sit down, relax, and I'll see you on the other side. Jasmine Gilbert, welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast. Thank you, Matt. I'm happy to be here. So awesome to have you on. I've been following your page for quite some time on social media and I'm loving the content that you're putting up and specifically loving the the correlation that you educate the community on between the gut and, you know, mental health. And so I'm really, really pumped to get into that. But before we do, Jasmine, talk to us a little bit about your background and, and what got you intru- interested in natural health. Okay. Yeah. So thanks, Matt. I'm, um, so I'm a naturopath. Um, and I've been practicing for going on almost eight years now. And basically I started that naturopathy degree. I was always interested in food and nutrition. And I found that sort of growing up and through my education, you know, through school, I hadn't really learned much about the connection between food and health and food and the body and definitely not food and mental health. Um, and so I was interested, but I had no idea what I was delving myself into in terms of what the course was going to be. I just knew I had that interest. Um, so it was actually through doing the course that I developed um, my passion for, for the area. Um, and it was also my own experiences during that time with anxiety and with gut issues um, that I became particularly interested in that area. Um, and I guess it's kind of that sort of thing we start to attract the more you're interested in something, the more you attract uh, clients who need help with that. So I found that I was attracting more and more people with this link with anxiety and gut issues and not really understanding that the two were like inextricably linked. Um, and so it's become, yeah, a passion of mine just to spread that awareness. Um, Cause I think there's, yeah, a lot of misunderstanding about how, the body works and how physiological things like anxiety can be. Um, so I love working with them in clinic. Yeah, definitely, Jasmine. I think the research is starting to surface a little bit more these days and it's starting to be more prevalent in terms of the link between the foods that we're eating and, you know, how we're feeling and the emotions that we portray and, and other chronic diseases. And it's a really, really exciting time in that space. And the research is still so new, but the, the whole body is so complex. So it's very, very exciting. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's very sort of, 
as naturopaths, we're always taught, you know, that everything stems from the gut um, and, you know, without treating the gut, you're kind of missing this big element of people's problems. So it's quite vindicating in a way to see that research start to emerge. Yeah, definitely. And I know we're going to get into all the pathways later on in the podcast, but I really, really am attracted to the naturopathic philosophy and the principles involved in in that preventative preventative medicine approach. And I think it's gaining a lot of momentum at the moment as well, because especially in this time in Victoria, people are looking for alternate ways to start taking control of their own health. And I think that's one of the major principles as a naturopath is giving people the resources and the tools to take control of their own health and, and use their, the naturopath as a person to bounce ideas off as opposed to the person that's just going to cure their issue, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess it's a level of education. It's also a level of empowerment of those clients because if you give people the tools to move forward and be able to understand how their body works and then understands, um, you know, when something goes wrong, be able to look at themselves and go, okay, what am I, you know, am I missing something in my diet or is my lifestyle not supporting my health? Then they have the tools to be able to take better care of themselves because we often know ourselves the best rather than just sort of being giving, being given, I guess, band-aid sort of, you know, quick fixes um, and not really taking that ownership of their health. Yeah, definitely. It's an exciting space to be in, that's for sure. Now, Jasmine, before we dive deep into that sort of realm, I'd love to get a little bit of your fitness background as well. I understand you're heavily involved in F45. Talk to us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so <laughs> I like to do keep myself busy. So I manage an F45 in Melbourne here. Um, so I guess similar path. So I was already practicing naturopath and I knew that exercise for me um, had been really valuable just in terms of, um, I guess, bolstering my mental health. Uh, and, you know, I actually was diagnosed with polycystic ovaries in my early 20s as well. So exercise was a big part of curing that as well. Um, and so I knew that while I had all these tools as a naturopath to help people, there was something that I knew that was super important for me that I wanted to be able to give to other people as well. Um, so I did my set three and set four in fitness and got into some group fitness on the side and obviously, yeah, quite busy now, but, um, I, I love the energy of the, of the group training and I love that it gives people that extra element to their health and just understanding the body in a, a different way, I guess, as well to just rather than just nutrition and, and gut health and things. Yeah, definitely. And I guess I'm a huge advocate for group training when we can do it, obviously, when these restrictions lift. Yeah. But group training provides that sense of community for people. And, and it's more than just, you know, coming in and, and getting a sweat for 45 minutes. You're actually going and, you, and you're um, connecting with various people that mm. are obviously on the same journey as you trying to better their quality of health, and, uh, quality of life, sorry. And yeah, it's, it's an exciting space to be in. And the energy, like you said, conducting a class is amazing. So I love that. Jasmine, I'm interested, what intrigues you about the functional method of training um i guess it's a way so rather than well i do i do enjoy all aspects of training i'll say that to start with but i was attracted to functional training i guess because it's so you can take that method of training and the way learning to use your body in a certain way into daily life um, so, you know, getting skills through functional exercises. I mean, they're called functional for a reason um, because we learn to use our body in a, a safe way, I guess. So little things like, you know, you're carrying a box up the stairs, no problems because you're used to, um, you're engaging your core and using your glutes in a proper way. So it's not very sexy, but I kind of think about like long-term health and helping people you know, maintain their bodies into old age um, and have that, I guess, that mind-muscle connection as well as we get older. So I think the, the less you use those muscles in that functional way, then the, I guess the more that they deteriorate. 
Yeah, definitely. Great answer. I'm a huge fan of functional training as well. And it's uh, encouraging people to utilize their, those sorts of training methods in, in everyday life. Like your deadlifts with kettlebells are like picking up bags of groceries off the floor. So you don't have to make three trips from the car to the, to the house. It's always done in one trip. So yeah, I think that they're, they're a really, really important way of training. And, and like you said before, all aspects of moving your body are great, but I specifically enjoy functional training the most as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good to hear. Now, Jasmine, I think we should preface this discussion by explaining what happens on a cellular level when we're in an anxious state. So I'd love to know basically what happens once we are faced with a stressor and then obviously what happens on a cellular level in that. Yeah, so I guess there's a mind and a body aspect to that reaction. So the mind is recognising a stressor um, and I think that's a really interesting place to start because in a way our bodies haven't really evolved to determine what level of stressor we're responding to. Um, so the same reaction will happen in our body, whether we are, you know, received an email that makes us really um, stressed out at work and the same reaction is going to happen when we're faced with, you know, running away from a lion down the street. So, Um, In a way, it's like our stress response hasn't really evolved, I guess, in the short amount of time that we have been exposing ourselves to, uh, I guess, a really different industrial revolution kind of stress where we're just sort of like working um, and more stressed about, more more exposed to chronic stresses, I guess. Um, So anyway, (laughs) once that stress response is identified, what happens um, is... In our central nervous system, we have a division that's called our sympathetic nervous system, which is activated from that from that brain recognizing the response. Um, and it's obviously a very physiological, biological process. So once the sympathetic nervous system is activated, it tells our adrenal glands, you know, we need to make more stress hormones. So adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol. And once those hormones are released, neurotransmitters are released, um, that increases our body's ability to cope with, like I said, any stress. So, you know, our heart rate goes up, our breathing rate increases, um, our body temperature lifts, and it shuts down all of our other sort of functions like digestion and things. You know, the body, you know, if we're in, if we're getting chased by a tiger, we need to run down the street, we need to to be ready to go. Um, so in that way, I guess that's where there can be some issues for people because all of those things like being ready to run, heart rate up, breathing rate up, aren't really that useful when you're sitting behind your computer reading a stressful email. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the issues can be for people in the longer term being exposed to chronic stress and then developing um anxiety from that because their body's kind of got this disordered response to a perceived stress which is kind of out of alignment with how great it needs to be that's a really great answer there jasmine appreciate that and i guess something that we can speak in layman's terms for the listeners at home is the fight or flight response and you Mm. sort of highlighted that before when you were running away from a tiger and how our body doesn't actually know how to distinguish between running away from a tiger and reading a stressful email so I guess I'll hand the reins over to you what is the fight or flight response Jasmine? Yeah so exactly that so I like to talk to my clients about yeah their nervous system Um, and I guess in layman's terms there being two aspects to the nervous system so our sympathetic nervous system like it sounds, is uh, that fight or flight response and our parasympathetic nervous system, which is more to do with that rest and digest, kind of like our housekeeping functions, if you will. So um, the fight or flight is really that stress aspect. So it's preparing the body to literally fight or flee. Um, And in that being activated, that's where uh, our body downregulates our parasympathetic nervous system, so that rest and digest, to send all, like literally send blood and energy to that uh, fight or flight response. 
Love it. And you, you touched on before the, the role that cortisol plays. And obviously, mm. we've, we hear cortisol when we're involved in um, stressful situations. But what is cortisol? Yeah, cortisol is a hormone. So it's made by our adrenal glands. So our adrenals uh, sit above the kidneys, kind of the lower back there. And they're basically, we need cortisol to sustain life. So it kind of gets thrown around as kind of like a bad thing. Like you don't want to have too much cortisol, but you do actually need enough cortisol to regulate a lot of body processes. Like for instance, if you don't have enough cortisol, um, your body can't regulate your blood sugar levels. So cortisol is released at the initial sort of what's well, released all the time, but it's a, released uh, more so at the beginning of a stressor. And I mean, our cortisol naturally falls, so it should rise in the morning and it should fall later in the day. Um, but for a lot of people that are chronically stressed, what can happen with cortisol is it starts to be raised. Um, so our body is perceiving that stress. It's activating the stress response. It's triggering the adrenals. Let's create more cortisol. We need more cortisol um, because cortisol is really like fundamental for driving that, um, again, like fight or flight. Um, so what happens is we get this sort of raised cortisol over time and that's where we can really start to develop um, anxiety and trouble sleeping and blood sugar dysregulation, you know, start to see the ripple effects of stress like people holding on to weight, not being able to lose weight, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, a whole host of negative things. And that's why it kind of gets a bit of a negative rap. Um, but I think the important thing to note here is that if cortisol is elevated for a long time, um, what can happen is our body kind of goes, okay, I can't do this anymore. And we can find the body starts to underproduce cortisol. It's kind of like the positive feedback loop you know, give me more cortisol, more cortisol, uh, the body kind of just goes, okay, I've had enough um, and can then start to underfunction. And when we have low cortisol, um, which can happen, as I said, over time, if we're exposed to that chronic stress and it's high for a long time, can be just as problematic. So low cortisol is also not something that we want. Um, we can still have very real anxiety and very real blood sugar dysregulation and a real lack of energy, um, great fatigue and things like that are real keynotes, I guess, of, of low cortisol. I guess our body's trying to constantly maintain that equilibrium where we've got just yeah. enough of everything to be able to function yeah. at an optimal level. And I guess when we've got either too many or too little, that's when we start to you know, develop problems and diseases start to occur in within the body. What are some diagnosed conditions that uh, come about as a result of elevated cortisol levels for a prolonged period of time? Yeah, I mean, so in mainstream medicine, adrenal fatigue is not recognised as a disease state. Um, it is, however, more of a functional uh, diagnosis. So if we have um, raised cortisol and then lowered cortisol or sort of any dysregulation, we understand that there's going to be effects on the body and that's when we would use the term adrenal fatigue. So although it's not a disease state, it means that the body's not op operating optimally. Um, so, but I mean, the other thing, the very real diagnoses that we can get from elevated cortisol are things that I mentioned before. So things like high blood pressure, um, high cholesterol is really common. Blood sugar dysregulations, if you take that far enough, you know, type 2 diabetes and things like that too. Um, but anxiety, I guess, is probably a really short-term kind of prevalent issue with dysregulated cortisol. It's, it's funny how when you're in tune with your body, you start to notice these things like the, the signs and symptoms of, a, of cortisol being released and you start to make connections with the, the cellular response to what's happening physiologically outside your body and those sort of feelings that are happening. But I guess for people that aren't really as in tune as others in terms of what's happening in their body, what are some signs and symptoms to look for when there is a how can I word this when, when cortisol is being produced into the body when you've been faced with that stressful situation? Yeah, great question. Um, so, I mean, it tends to happen, obviously, when we've been under stress. So that's a really good, I guess, pointer. If you know that you've been under prolonged stress, and that can be anything from, you know, 
work stress, relationship stress, or even physical stress, I think is sort of underrated in a way as well. Um, so what I mean by physical stress is burning the candle at both ends, you know, like not getting enough sleep, overdoing the caffeine, the alcohol and stimulants in the body. Um, so any sort of stress, if we know that that's been prolonged, um, we can have a good idea that there might be a dysregulation with cortisol. But I guess the, the more symptoms that you might be looking for might be trouble sleeping. So having trouble getting to sleep, staying asleep or waking up feeling like, you know, even if you get a you know, good solid eight hours, waking up feeling like you haven't slept a wink at all. Um, anxiety is obviously a really key one. So developing uh, physical anxiety and sometimes for people, they might not even really understand why they feel anxious. They just do. Um, and I hear that all the time. Sometimes when we're under kind of physical stress or stress and then the stress passes and people go, well, you know, I've got nothing to be stressed about, but their body has been under so much load for so long that then they're like, oh, this anxiety is coming out and it seems like it doesn't really make sense. Um, that's a really key one as well. And um, But other things like gut disturbances are really uh, a big problem. So I guess bloating or trouble digesting food, changes to bowel movements, whether that's kind of getting more um, like loose or frequent bowel movements right through to more constipation, any sort of changes to the gut. Um, kind of could, could just go on and on here, like really, um, yeah, but most, I, th I think the key thing would really be uh, fatigue and feeling during the day either really tired um, or almost wired and tired. So feeling like this sort of adrenaline, keep going feeling, but at the same time being really <laughs> kind of exhausted is key as well. Wired and tired is kind of something that I think a lot of people can relate to when they've when they've had issues with cortisol. Yeah, definitely, Jasmine. And I guess for the listeners at home, not to be alarmed by those sorts of signs and symptoms, because there is an, a number of other different things that, you know, can cross paths with those sorts of symptoms as well. But I guess it's a really good point to check in with yourself if you are experiencing any of those symptoms and ask why, and then start to really break down elements of your day that may be contributing to that. Like if you had, you know, if you're having trouble to getting to sleep, maybe it's because you had a coffee at 7 PM or, or break down mm. those individual factors before we often jump straight into the, um, to the worst end of the spectrum there. I think that's an important yes. point. To <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Don't want to set any health hypochondria off here. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Lots of, lots of simple reasons. Um, I guess it's more when, um, you know, you're getting those symptoms for seemingly no reason or, you know, over a long prolonged period of time where you start to notice, okay, my gut hasn't been good, like, and it's been several weeks or months now. Yeah, definitely. And I guess on the opposite end of the spectrum, another neurotransmitter that often gets a great rap is serotonin. I, I'll leave that over to you to explain what serotonin does in the body. Yeah. Okay. So serotonin. So when we talk about a neurotransmitter, um, it's basically a chemical messenger in the body. Um, so it can tell our nerves, tell our muscles, tell our glands basically what to do. Um, and serotonin has a, a yeah, good rap, as you said, because it's well known for being our happy neurotransmitter. Um, obviously, when it's working well and we are, um, you know, producing enough and it's firing properly, then uh, it can assist us in feeling content and that kind of happy um, feeling as well. But it also has a key role in gut function. So uh, several of the neurotransmitters do. Um, serotonin in particular, a lot of it is actually made in our gut. So the, I guess the research is, um, yeah, as we said before, a little bit new in this area. Um, but we do know that these neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, things like that, do play a role in regulating uh, homeostasis, so that balance in the gut, so to do with how our gut actually functions. So, you know, the motility through the gut, blood flow through the gut, how our microbiomes, our levels of 
uh, bacteria are in the gut too. Um, so it does have a key role there. Yeah, really important that we spoke about those two sort of neurotransmitters and those two well-known sort of hormones in the body before we take this conversation any further. Now, I guess another, we could chat for hours about the gut and all different <laughs> individualized parts, but I guess basically another word that gets thrown around a lot is microbiome. And I think it's probably important just to preface what the microbiome is before we dive further. Yeah. So... I guess when we're looking at um, the internal environment in the gut, so when we're talking about the microbiome in the large intestine, we're talking about the levels of bacteria. Um, so we know that there is about as many gut bacteria as in our gut as there, ear, as there are cells in our body. So that's mind-blowing to think about. Um, trillions and trillions of bacteria. And I guess we used to quite, in a quite rudimentary way, talk about good bacteria and bad bacteria. And now we're kind of like, okay, well, there's, there's not really good bacteria and bad bacteria, just different bacteria have different roles in the gut, but together they make up our microbiome. So we understand that on like a very superficial level, we need our gut bacteria um, to regulate our gut health, but we also now know that obviously our immune system, um, well, everything, hormones, mental health and things can be linked to uh, the health of our micro microbiome and the diversity of different bacteria in our gut um, and whether we have, you know, enough of those inverted commas, you can't see me making the inverted commas <laughs> sign, um, good bacteria versus, I guess, our more pathogenic bacteria so there are you know bacteria or yeasts or fungi that are quite normal in the body um you know for instance a lot of people might think about candida you know we're going to have candida in our gut but it's when those more pathogenic bacteria kind of take over and grow out of proportion to our more beneficial bacteria that we have a problem what sort of parts of our lifestyle can um, contribute to the replication of bad bacteria and what sort of elements can contribute to replication of good bacteria within our gut? Yeah, great question. Um, so in terms of, I guess, the overgrowths, like you said, um, of the bad bacteria, uh, diet is really key there. So um, we know that a diet high in sugar or more refined foods is going to feed those pathogenic bacteria. So again, I'll just go back to candida because it's something that everyone's kind of heard of, um, which is a yeast loves sugar. Um, and what's most alarming about that actually is that sometimes sugar cravings can literally be a signal from our gut bacteria that they want more of it. <laughs> so it's almost like our, our gut is driving our brain, which is, you know, in more ways than one here. Um, so food is a huge um, aspect of not only uh, overgrowths of bad bacteria, but also in feeding our good bacteria. So on the flip side, um, if we have a diet that is diverse and full of more whole foods, um, I guess diverse range of types of fiber and what we call prebiotic foods, so foods that specifically are fuel for our good bacteria, um, then we're really feeding uh, that uh, diversity of good bacteria and being allowing them to grow. Um, but a lot of other factors can play into, into that as well. So I guess medication is a big one. Um, antibiotics, you know, are sometimes really necessary um, and they are amazing at, at killing off bacteria and sometimes we need to take them. But the fallout that we can't forget is that they are non-discriminate. So they will kill off any bacteria in their path. So the downside of that is that if we're taking antibiotics, we are going to be killing off some of our good bacteria. So again, not to alarm anyone, <laughs> um, just I suggest if you do need to take antibiotics, always using a probiotic afterwards. Um, but also, you know, from, for other reasons as well, we don't want to overuse antibiotics. Um, because of this, that's kind of going to just be a perpetual cycle. So the more we're using antibiotics, the more we're killing off our good bacteria, and then that's going to be harming our gut microbiome, like we said, 
which will then ripple into our immune system, so lowering our immunity. Um, but other medications as well, things like, um, you know, PPIs that people take for uh, heartburn and things, even the pill can have an impact too. Um, so it's just good to be mindful and do your research. Like, obviously, there's a place for uh, pharmaceutical medication, but we just need to know the impact that it's having so we can mitigate it. I'm a huge fan of integrative approach and, and integrating both lifestyle medicine as well as pharmaceuticals because there is some great research and great um, minds that are putting together these these things. But I guess it's really important to, again, take control of your own health and utilise them where deemed necessary. Mm, I agree. And I just realised I probably missed out one of the biggest things that can influence the gut microbiome in terms of the last question. Um, which is stress. <laughs> so <laughs> the whole conversation we've been basic around, we forgot that. But I think it's important that people do know. Um, so when we do have elevated cortisol, that can actually directly influence uh, the gut microbiome. So how our body sequences or produces good bacteria. Important not to forget that. <laughs> From a bacteria point of view, our body is such an incredible thing and, and it, you know, it's just so complex and to try and dumb it down is really, really difficult. So you're doing a great job here, Jasmine. I appreciate that. But I guess from a point of view, if you're fueling your, your gut bacteria with, I guess, processed foods that are higher in sugar, those sort of bad bacteria are going to crave that crave those things more and on the opposite end of the spectrum if you're feeling it with you know whole foods fruits and vegetables and fiber those good bacteria are going to crave those things more i'd love to know how the gut signals to the brain and how the gut and the bacteria tells the brain that they need more sugar or they need more whole foods how does that happen and what sort of processes are involved yeah and that's a good question because it also leads into how uh the environment in the gut um, the state of the microbiome sends messages to the brain and influences our mental health as well. Um, so basically when the body's creating any sort of chemical process, we're creating um, chemical messengers. Uh, so things like what we call cytokines are chemical messengers that are sent through the bloodstream up to the brain um, and can cross the blood brain barrier and therefore impact um, certain neurotransmitter signaling. So uh, when we're talking about sending a message back, you know, up from the gut to the brain, we're talking about, I guess, yeah, chem like, like a little chemi chemical messenger. I was trying to think of an analogy about, you know, a little career driver um, <laughs> going up to the brain and it can actually sort of enter the brain and alter the signaling in the brain. And so that's how as well, um, you know, not just with food cravings, but also um, with our mental health inflammation or sort of this change to good and bad bacteria in the gut can then shift the way our, our brain is signaling um, and how our neurotransmitters are firing, which can lead to anxiety and to depression and things like that, or other behavioral disorders um, as well. It's so, so amazing. The body is incredibly complex and yeah, it's just, it's amazing to see what happens on a, on a cellular level underneath our skin it's, it's crazy and incredible to see what your body can can sort of do underneath the skin yeah and we have no control well, we do have control over it but i mean we don't like we do have control on those external factors we talked about but it's amazing like all of this is going on inside us and we're just kind of at its whim <laughs> Yeah, it's incredible to to hear about the, not lack of control, but how much control we actually do have over our physiological responses as well. Like the mm. fact that factors that we put our lifestyle in do contribute to these things as we spoke about earlier before. Yeah. I guess leading into the digestion pathway, Jasmine, briefly, would you be able to explain the process of digestion? And then I guess we'll dive right into how these things that we spoke about before, before impair your digestion. Yeah, I guess so when we're thinking about the digestive system, we're thinking about 
you know, all the way up from the mouth. So that is where our food starts to be digested. Um, we have enzymes in the mouth that are beginning to break food down, obviously the mechanical process of chewing too. Um, so food travels obviously down through the esophagus uh, into the stomach. Um, so our body makes stomach acid and it also makes um, digestive enzymes from the pancreas. Um, which again begin to break down those um, proteins, fats and carbohydrates um, before food is released into our small intestine. So the small intestine is where a lot of our absorption of nutrients happens. So um, the integrity of the lining of our gut is really important here. So it, well, all of it's important. So we need food to be adequately broken down in the stomach. Um, otherwise, we're going to start to get, you know, bloating and um, pain and things because it's not broken down there. But then if it's not broken down, our body's not then able to, I guess, assimilate or absorb or and assimilate nutrients from the food. So if that digestive process isn't happening well, that's why we say, okay, well, Obviously, you can be eating all the amazing foods in the world and still end up with a nutrient deficiency because your gut's not actually able to, to get the nutrients from it. So then once that's happened, obviously, um, moving through again through to the large intestine, which is where our, all of our bacteria are fermenting and processing um, and, you know, excreting waste. So that process is super important as well. Um, I feel like there's so, so it's a very brief <laughs> explanation of the digestive system, but I guess that's um, kind of the main, main points. Yeah, definitely, Jasmine. It's, it's really, really hard to break these down into smaller <laughs> points and, and without branching off into topics that we could even chat for five or six hours about the body. Like mm -hmm. I said before, it's so amazing. So you did a great job there. And I think those are the most important parts um, in terms of the digestion for the topic of conversation that we're going on. Eating, you know, when you're in this anxious state, we go back before when we were talking about that fight or flight situation. So say if mm. someone's eating at their desk, um, they've just received, you know, a quite abusive email from their boss and they're filled up with cortisol. They're ready in that fight or flight mm. situation, ready to respond. Why is it not a great idea to be starting to break down that digestion process and, and okay. con consume food in that process as well? Yeah, which is a really important question because it's so common. <laughs> um, and the amount of people that I, uh, clients, you know, have to say, like, please don't eat your lunch behind your desk um, because it's going to impair your digestion. So what when we're thinking about the digestive process starting, I think it's something like 30% of that process beginning where the body's starting to make digestive enzymes and stomach acid and preparing itself to break food down actually happens from the body being in a relaxed state from you know the thought and the you know the smell and the idea of eating and like I touched on before so this is the parasympathetic nervous system this is that other flip side of our um, enteric nervous system so the parasympathetic nervous system, this rest or digest uh, aspects, we need to be relaxed in order for it to actually switch on. Otherwise, our body's still diverting blood to this stress response. So it's diverting blood literally away from the digestive system um, so that it's not then able to, I guess, switch on. So if then it's not switched on, we're not making as much stomach acid, we're not making as many digestive enzymes, um, potentially our motility is slowed down so that food's kind of just sitting there or if it's passing through, it's not properly digested and improperly digested food, we're not absorbing nutrients and then it's also uh, more fuel for our bad bacteria. So we've got more big undigested particles of food for bacteria to um, over ferment and cause, uh, which causes gas, which causes bloating, which causes pain um, and kind of ripples on from there. So it seems really simple, but actually just 
stepping away from a stressful environment um, and making the time, you know, it doesn't even have to be stress. It could just be busyness. Like I'm sure a lot of people can relate to the feeling of kind of just being busy and you don't necessarily feel stressed or anxious, but you're just getting things done or like running around. Your body is to some extent in that fight or flight mode, even though you don't perceive it to be stressful. It's, it's still um, the stress response. So that's when we can start to get all those yeah, gut symptoms so so interesting and we spoke about before the control we have over the digestion phase and the control the control we have over these sort of um cellular responses and it's so interesting that something so simple like that can make a huge difference in terms of digestion so i guess in a practical setting if someone is facing that situation what should someone do instead of consuming food in that state so they've just received that email instead of eating what should they do before consuming food yeah, I mean, and it's super tough because sometimes you're like, okay, well, I need to eat, <laughs> but I feel stressed. And sometimes it's, it's not even worth it because you know you're going to end up with gut symptoms. Um, so at that point, I encourage people to really focus on, you know, if they want to eat now and don't want to deal with this stressful email, as much as possible, putting that to the side. Um Diaphragmatic breathing is probably my go-to for activating the parasympathetic nervous system. So our division of the nervous system that uh, promotes our rest and digest functions like digestion. So if we can just find some quiet um, and just place a hand on the lower abdomen and ensure that we are breathing so a lot of people actually don't know how to breathe, which is probably the most alarming part of this is we can be so tense that actually the diaphragm is completely seized up and people don't even notice. So breathing from this sort of upper kind of chest area, um, the diaphragm's not working, which directly inhibits um, the digestive process. So just focusing on trying to take some breaths into the lower abdomen through the nose, so nice and slowly, and out through the nose um, to just try and activate that parasympathetic nervous system. So one of the quickest ways we can do that, um, and the quickest ways we can uh, try to reduce the physical impact of stress on the body is through the breath. Um, big believer in that, and um, particularly uh, the technique of Bateco breathing, I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but is about, um, yeah, just increasing the parasympathetic nervous system functions. I think you mentioned it before as well, that we do it involuntarily each and every day and each and every second mm -hmm. of every day. So when we start to think about it, I think there's some magical things that happen. And then that opens up this whole can of worms about yoga and meditation, but bringing it back mm -hmm. to a physiological level, those impacts that just controlling your breath and stepping away from that stressful situation can have is, is enormous. Mm, definitely. Um, and I think sometimes people are, Put off like they've tried meditation and the amount of times people say it doesn't work for me i can't do it um so like obviously if you're if you've practiced meditation a lot that's another great thing you can do at that time but i guess for so many people they're kind of yeah i guess put off because they think it's hard so for those people i say okay just focus on the breath like you don't have to do anything you just have to focus on diaphragmatic breathing um, and it kind of removes that barrier between um, I guess yeah stress and relaxation so they think that they can't cross it because they're not able to switch off their mind and all these things but um, in reality yeah it can be as simple as just focusing on the breath heading into the direct correlation between what's happening in our gut to our mental health and well-being we spoke about the the physiological processes and the cellular processes that are happening there but what does the research tell us about what sort of foods we're consuming and and the environment that we're placing it in and prolonged le uh, levels of elevated cortisol and all those sorts of things tell us about the onset of mental illness yeah so what we know, as I sort of touched on just before, was if we do have these changes to our gut bacteria, so we do have um, 
kind of more of these pathogenic bacteria and less of our good bacteria, what we're doing is um, creating a degree of inflammation in the gut. And that can happen, as we, as we said before, so through diet, through medication, through stress. Um, so this doesn't really matter how it starts, but this level of inflammation in the gut, and I guess we haven't touched on as well, that can come from eating foods that our body is intolerant to as well. So um, that's a, it's key for a lot of people too. You know, if you have a lactose intolerance but continue to eat it, you're going to be activating the immune system, which is going to create a lot more inflammation in the gut. Um, so wherever it stemmed from, that's then traveling through the bloodstream up into the brain um, and changing, as I said before, the way our brain is working in really simple terms. So in our brain, obviously, all of these neurotransmitters, so serotonin, which is associated with our happy feeling, GABA is associated with uh, feeling really relaxed, kind of our natural sedative, dopamine with that sort of feeling of reward. If we're changing the signaling of those neurotransmitters, we're changing uh, our mental state. So if we have, you know, an underfiring of GABA or an underproduction of GABA, we're going to be finding ourselves in a more anxiety-ridden state because physiologically our body is unable to relax itself. Um, so you know, it can be quite multifaceted and obviously there's that two-way correlation because we just spoke about how stress is impacting the gut so it's always like what's the chicken what's the egg here you know because we might have gut problems which are interacting and causing changes with our mental health but at the same time um, if our brain is stressed then you know everything that we said before about how that changes the gut so it's kind of this vicious cycle and we need to intervene on every level um, otherwise kind of just goes around and around and again i guess people at home can really understand and appreciate the complexity of these sort of systems and and how it responds differently in everybody's body and and how these sort of implications have adverse effects on the whole body as a system as opposed to the one system as a as what we spoke about before. So it doesn't just directly impact the digestive system. It goes back into all sort of systems in the body as well. And I guess that's why treating the body as a whole from a naturopathic point of view is such an important factor in this element, because there could be so many different causes for lack of a better term of, of the symptoms that you're seeing. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's, I guess that's why I love working in this area um, because I love doing that detective work and, and figuring out, you know, it's often not just one thing, like you have a digestive issue and a lot of people, um, if they haven't been exposed, I guess, to this way of thinking before might think it's as simple as, oh yeah, I have a lactose intolerance, no worries, cut it out, all good. Um, but oftentimes it's a lot more complicated than just one food intolerance and and food intolerances themselves are often a lot more complicated than just food intolerance oftentimes comes down to um, digestive function or gut bacteria um, and all those things that we've spoken about before as well definitely and i guess it's been ingrained in in our society for such a long time that there we can just treat the cause and, and happy days everything's all all done and finished and we're all after that quick sort of fix whatever whatever facet we're in i can't even talk at whatever facet we're in i guess and that stems through all different parts of our body from our fitness from treating through our health from obviously wanting everything now so you can understand how this sort of process has been ingrained in us for such a long period of time and adopting this philosophy of treating the body as a whole and, and, you know, really taking time to understand the body systems and how they should be functioning optimally is quite foreign ground. And it's really exciting to see that it's gaining a lot more momentum these days. Definitely. I think people are starting to really see that, um, you know, okay, I have one problem and that's heartburn well, putting in a medication just to stop stomach acid isn't going to fix the problem in the long term because the body's doing that for a reason. This is like this is like a little fire to signal something 
more underlying is going on. And I think people are really starting to understand that um, and understand that if they, yeah, dig a little bit deeper, um, it's going to be of greater benefit to them in the long term. Otherwise, they take one medication and then they're going to need another medication for the side effects of that and so on and so forth, um, which is not what anybody wants. <laughs> Definitely. And I use this analogy a lot. It's like if you're thinking about a car, for example, if you continue to drive on a flat tire, it's going to have other effects as well. So if you continue to drive with that flat tire, obviously the rim is starting, the tire is going to run out, then you're starting to affect the rim. And once the rim is damaged, then you're starting to affect the whole axle of the car. And once that's damaged, you're putting a lot more stress on the actual engine to run itself. So then the engine overheats and there's just these whole follow on effects and different systems that, you know, are arising from potentially this one issue. I guess understanding yeah. the complexity and appreciating the complexity of the human body is just, it's amazing. Yeah. Which I think is really important as well as a practitioner um, to recognize that we can't know everything. Um, and, you know, just to work with what we do know. So, if, you know, as a naturopath, sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm out of my depth here with, you know, it might be a more musculoskeletal mechanical issue affecting the gut or, um, a level of mental health that I need to refer to, um, you know, a psychologist or um, a kinesiologist or something like that. So understanding that, well, nobody really knows everything and, or no, and nobody knows, um, you know, there's so much we don't know even about the gut. Like we think we have a handle on it from the research that we do, but it's all pretty new. Um, so just being open to new ways of understanding things and yeah, not being afraid to cross refer and work with other people. Um, cause ultimately then people are going to get a, a better result in the long run. Absolutely hit the nail on the head there, Jasmine. I guess, you know, coming back to the, the gut health conversation that we we're having before I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks back with. Um, Dr. Will Bolshewitz, who's a gastroenterologist, and he was explaining that there's more gut bacteria in our gut than there is stars in the sky. And that's just like absolutely blown me away. And, and he also said another topic that we've only started to really dive deep into the research of this in the past decade. So this is just incredible how complex that this has happened over the past decade. And it's really exciting on the other hand, to see where we can be in the next decade within the gut health and how much more empowerment people can have over taking control of their own health and we will look back at these conversations in in the next decade and think oh wow we didn't know that much did we <laughs> we're all wrong yeah. <laughs> hopefully not yeah. Uh, <laughs> um yeah hopefully i mean there's a lot of things that we're kind of as naturopaths we uh, have an idea about and i guess it, it can be stemmed back to all that sort of traditional medicine as well like if you think about the use of herbal medicine um, you know, hundreds of years ago, they didn't have any research about, um, you know, how echinacea boosts the immune system. They just use it um, and they understood what it was doing. So I think there's this kind of traditional knowledge and, and to an extent there is that with the gut that is now being, the research is then catching up in a way. So we're able to understand it more, things that we, we kind of already suspected, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's so amazing to see how far we've come in terms of the research, but how, how much we rely on those sort of um, traditional medicinal practices back in the day when they had no ac ac access to mm. like microscopes and all these other things to look at cells yeah. from a cellular level. It's just crazy how they got by. I find it so fascinating. Yeah, definitely. I guess leading back into what we spoke about before serotonin and how we can you know, boost our absorption of nutrients through our lifestyle factors. I think that plays an important role as well. And I guess you can explain more about that, but what lifestyle factors contribute to um, increased serotonin levels, which then follow on to obviously better digestion, all those other sorts of things that we spoke about before. So again, this is a bit of a cycle as well, because to make any neurotransmitter, we need the right levels of nutrients in the body. <laughs> um, so if we're actually getting impaired digestion, then we're not absorbing as many of those nutrients, which we then need to make the neurotransmitters. So it's a little bit, again, of a vicious cycle. Um, but I think it's important to remember that all, you know, neurotransmitters, as well as all other hormones and, and things like that, the building blocks of those are, are proteins. Um, so we need to be ensuring that we're eating uh, 
again, a diverse diet, but getting enough uh, protein. Um, and then all these micronutrients as well, things like magnesium, B vitamins, zinc and things, everything is involved in different ways in production of different neurotransmitters. So if we're not actually eating them, um, our body doesn't have a hope. And then in terms of their actual function, so you know, when we're talking about the firing of neurotransmitters, um, we need a healthy amount of good fats, in particular omega-3. So in terms of the diet, there's a lot we can do to actually optimise the production and the function of our neurotransmitters. So we've talked a lot about the guard and how that impacts. Um, but in terms of actual just what we're eating in our diet and um, more so than just avoiding, you know, refined sugary foods, but making sure we're getting enough of these specific nutrients is really key. And it's really personalized based on obviously people's experiences and if they've got um, underlying gut issues and, and all those sorts of things as well. So I guess a treatment plan is tailored. Yeah, definitely. So I guess, you know, for one person, they might have changes to their neurotransmitter levels because they're not eating um, nearly enough magnesium, say. So, you know, that's one issue versus somebody else, um, they have a lot of inflammation in their gut because they're stressed. Um, so in that way, there's no one treatment uh, plan for the same condition. So whether that's gut health, whether that's mental health, there's so many different factors for different people. Definitely, Jasmine. I think that's why preventative medicine is gaining a lot of traction these days in terms of creating a holistic lifestyle that in turn um, prevents disease from occurring. So making sure that you're getting enough sleep, making sure you're drinking enough water, making sure you're eating a diverse range of plant foods, making sure you're getting enough omega-3s, moving your body, all these sorts of factors that do contribute to the overall end result of, of preventing disease. It's so complex. It is. And I think... Um, you know, really optimising all of that. You could, you know, if you are a bit of a worrier, <laughs> you can sort of overthink it and really, um, you know, get a bit obsessive about um, optimising all of these different things, um, which in turn is going to create more stress, which we don't want. So it's kind of this balance between doing your best with the diet, but also not worrying about it too much because that can happen a lot as well i find people with real food anxiety you know really getting a, a little bit too obsessive about um what they eat or don't eat when it's really like what we do 90 percent of the time is is most important i could not agree more there and i guess starting small is the first step to that mm -hmm. so um, if you, you can't try and change everything all at once or try and, you know, make changes to things all at once, pick one element yep. and, and really dive into that. And, you know, within the health and fitness realm, it's amazing to see so many people trying to take control of their health in different avenues, but really putting your focus into different elements and perfecting those is, is important as well. So for example, if you're, you know, really struggling to drink enough water throughout the day, there's no point making sure that, you know, you're trying to drink enough water, exercise an hour a day, sleep eight hours a day and, and get all these, you know, different nutrients through your diet if, yeah. you, if you can't perfect one thing. So I think it's important to start small. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's great advice. Cause I think unfortunately for a lot of people, especially, you know, I like to give everybody all the information um, because that's my job, but just reiterating, like, you know, even just doing part of this. So whether that's yeah, drinking water or practicing breathing or whatever it is like that will help. And I think there's often this um, misconception that people have to do everything perfectly or nothing at all. <laughs> um, when in actual fact, just doing something imperfectly, you know, trying to get more greens in your diet or whatever it is makes a difference. So I try to get people out of that mindset of like, well, I'm either going to do everything a hundred percent or I'm just not even going to bother. Um, because yeah, as you just said, like starting small, you're going to build more success that way than not, not, 
giving it a go at all because that's what happens is people get overwhelmed by all the changes that they have to make and then give up so you know it would be better to start small and just do one thing or you know even just try to do it 50 percent of the time would be better than not, not at all absolutely great message there jasmine i guess this conversation has been incredible understanding what happens um with the stresses in our life and how they can impair our digestion and, and really prolong into other chronic diseases and, and mental health conditions as well. But I guess coming to the end of the podcast now, what is your main message, Jasmine, and why do you get out of bed each and every day? Uh, how do I summarise that? Um, <laughs> so I think we've touched on, on my main message in different ways, but I think it's important that people understand that everything in the body is interconnected. So it's very rare that we will get uh, symptoms in one area and they're not, and they're not linked to something else that's going on in our body. Um, so once we start to understand that, then we start to understand um, what the, where the root cause is and why this is all propping up. Um, so in that way, I guess part of my message is that it's so important to treat the cause. Um, so without addressing the cause, it's going to come up and come up and come up again and again and again. Um, so we need to identify what that is. Um, and obviously that's difficult for people and that's why I'm, that's why I do what I do. That's my job. So palm that off on me or, you know, another naturopath or nutritionist um, because that's what I love to do is, do that detective work and find out where's this all coming? Why has this happened? Um, and how all these things um, interrelated. And on that note as well, I think, especially with some of the areas I've worked with, like gut health, um, particularly things like irritable bowel syndrome and mental health as well, things like anxiety, there can be people that have been given a diagnosis like that and then been told, if they haven't seen a very sort of thorough or integrative practitioner, been told, you're just gonna to have to learn to live with it. The amount of times I've heard that scares me so much, um, or given some offhanded advice about a FODMAP diet or you know, seeing a therapist. Um, when if you, you know, invest the time um, and obviously seek help to identify what's driving this? So the, these things, like we said before, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, or anxiety can be so multifaceted. There's often something that's, that's happened or some driver that we can address. So it's not just like you have to go on the FODMAP diet forever or see a therapist forever, or this is something that you're going to have to suffer with forever. There is um, another side to that. You know, I've had my issues in the past i've had really bad anxiety um and never once did i allow myself to think that i wouldn't be able to live a life without it and you know i'm happy to say now i don't i don't worry about um having a panic attack because i know that i understand my body stress response i know how to dampen it down and i know when that when that could arise why that's that there's something going on in my body that's trying to tell me something um so I think it's important that people have that education, but also that level of empowerment from their practitioner, um, that they can take control of their health and they can experience a life free from those symptoms that they've been told they have to learn to live with. Such a really important message there. Thanks for sharing that with us, Jasmine. Uh, it's really evident through everything that you're doing and through the advice that you're providing to the community. So take my hat off to you. Well done. Where can people get in, get in touch with you if they resonated with anything that you said during today's yeah, episode? Yeah, so, yeah. I'm practising at the moment um, via Zoom, so with the restrictions in Victoria, um, working online for naturopathic consults. So uh, on my website, uh, www.jasminegilbert.com.au, um, I have my booking link and all the information about the services that I provide. Um, otherwise, yeah, via Instagram, uh, which is Total Health with Jasmine, um, I'm happy for people to contact me there with any questions and things. Definitely, and I'll have those links for you guys in the show notes. Jasmine, thank you so much. I'm sure all my listeners would have got a ton of information out of that today. Thank you.
so welcome. I love talking about this. So it's been a pleasure. Well, friends, you made it to the other side. We definitely covered some territory in that one. It was so interesting listening to how our food behaviors can impact our overall digestion. So a little take-home message, if you got nothing out of the show, was to maybe stop multitasking while we're eating foods and let's really celebrate the physical aspect of eating. Your gut will thank you for it. Guys, I'd love to know what you thought of the show, so head on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review, and also let us know that you're listening by screenshotting the cover and posting it on your social media. I hope you guys have a wonderful week wherever you're listening in the world, and I'll see you next time on the Euphoria Health Podcast.